The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. Keep the faith, the life of Paul. So we're just starting a series today, which we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks, about the life of Paul, about how he kept the faith, about various aspects of his life. And I don't know whether you have a Bible with you today. Um, it's not that I necessarily want to turn you. If you have a phone, this is not going to work quite so well. Because I really want to go to this place, which is between Malachi and Matthew. For me, there's, a, there's one sheet of paper here that says New Testament. We're going to that place in history. And I say that because it's quite important for us at the beginning of this to really gain an understanding of the setting that we're coming into. So we're coming to that place between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, it's not exact because, obviously, with the New Testament, it, we start talking about Jesus. But you know what? And it is recorded about when Jesus was born, but that affected a number of people. It didn't necessarily affect everybody. So things were happening. Life is going on. But we're in that position in between the two Testaments and we're working things out. And we need to understand this so that we can have an understanding of what Paul was dealing with and of what was going on in his life. So understanding the setting, and particularly Israel's history. If we've got, here we go, Israel's history and the fact that the uh, Jews were waiting for the Messiah. Now, I can give you a very potted, quick potted history of Israel. You know, or perhaps you don't know. If you don't know, listen. And then let me encourage you to read the book afterwards, because it's all in there. Uh, Israel, 12 tribes, 12 tribes that had actually gone into Egypt and under the uh, leadership of Moses had come out of Egypt with signs and wonders and had become a nation eventually going into the promised land and taking the promised land. When they eventually arrived in the promised land, life was great, a land flowing with milk and honey. But there's 12 tribes, they organize themselves, they take their land, they're living together, and eventually they get to the point where they say, we want a king, just like everybody else. And they have King Saul. But King Saul is not God's man. And eventually David arises, and he is the king of Israel. David, king of Israel. And uh, then his son, Solomon, then began to lead the 12 tribes. And this time, they had all been together. But after Solomon passed away, the tribes divided into two areas, basically north and south. Ten tribes went to the north, that is called Israel, and two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were in the south, the south of the landmass, that is, and they were called Judah. So in your Bible, you read about Israel and you read about Judah, and it's talking about these two separate divisions. So you know what it's like with political things? There's some things that happen differently in the north than in the south. There are some agreements they have there that we don't have here. And it was that type of thing. Eventually, Samaria became the capital city, if you like, of the northern tribes. And Jerusalem was the capital city of the southern tribes. And so that's how it happened. And that's how the Jews had arranged themselves. Everything was going fine. But of course, the, the nation was supposed to be living under God's command and God's authority. 
Ah, I wondered why you were looking at the screen. Okay, I'll come on to that in a minute or two, don't worry. Uh, they were living under God's command and God's authority. And, but God was displeased with the way that the people were actually behaving, the way that they were living their lives. God had given them laws and commands which he wanted them to follow. He said, if you follow these laws and these commands, then you will be the people that I want you to be, and the way that you behave will speak to everybody else. That's what they were supposed to be as a nation. But they were not following those things. And indeed, the tribes in the north, Israel, they actually, in the end, were punished by God, and the Assyrians came and captured them and took them into captivity. And that happened some 700 years before Jesus came. Now, you can imagine the political things that were going on in the press, as it were, in those days. The rumours of what were happening. It's just like it's, it, we are today, Brexit. And you're reading all about, are we going to make it, aren't we going to make it, what's going to happen with this, what's going to happen about that, free trade, not free trade, free movement of people, not free people. You know all that stuff that's going on. That's what would have been happening then. But now the northern tribes have gone and the Assyrians have come. So it's like there's been a takeover. And Judah is still there. And Judah are trying to get their act together with God. And God keeps speaking to them. But basically they're still walking in disobedience. And eventually the Babylonians come and they conquer the southern tribes, and they take them into captivity into Babylon. And that is like 580 years before Jesus. And all through this time, prophets, the prophets that we can read about in the Bible, have been speaking to the Israelites and telling them before it happened what was going to happen. Jeremiah is a classic one of those prophets. He was telling the people, listen, if you don't change your ways, God is going to do this. And they said, that's not going to happen. But it did happen and the people were taken into captivity. The prophets have been speaking all the time about what God was wanting and about God, what God was trying to establish among the people. And eventually, the people come back from being in captivity in Babylon. They were there for 70 years. So having been in captivity, King Cyrus releases the Jews and they come back to Jerusalem after 70 years in captivity. And so now they come back and there's a real sense in which, wow, wow, God has helped us. And now we come back. We need to rebuild the temple. We need to live right. We need to do the things that God has told us to do. We must get back. We've realized where we went astray. We're now back and we're now forming a proper, established way before God that's going to please him. So that's where we enter into that time, where the people have come back from captivity. And now we're some 500 years after that originally happened. And during this time, as in anything, the religious system or the worship of God has been organized, and there's always different streams, aren't there? Different ways that people want to do things. And these three particular streams had arisen amongst the Jews. There were the Essenes, these people who were called the Essenes. They really felt like, you know, we really want to worship God and really connect with God. And there's so much that people do that we don't like. So we withdraw ourselves. And they actually went to the desert places and they became like a monastic community. So they were sort of separating themselves. It's actually amongst this community they had written down the Torah and the prophets and things, and they were found in the desert, and they're called the Dead Sea Scrolls. So it's believed that those people had kept those writings, the Essenes. And then there was the Sadducees. The Sadducees believed in the priesthood. They tended to be a bit more of the elitist because the priests obviously were the ruling people over the Israelites. They had, uh, they had authority. 
And so the, the Sadducees wanted to keep that authority. They wanted to recognize that they were people of importance and authority. So there tended to be that slightly more air of arrogance about them. But that, they had certain beliefs, and certainly they wanted to work alongside the Greeks. A lot of Greek-speaking people around. They wanted to work alongside them. However, there's another sect, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were committed to the law. They were committed to the Old Testament. Committed to living it out. Committing to see it being lived out in our lives. We don't want any other... We don't want foreign influences from the Greeks. So they didn't want that from the Greeks. So they tended to separate themselves away from the uh, Sadducees. And they were different from them. But they were very keen to live their lives in accordance with what God wanted. And so you had these three sects of people. But all of them, because they all were rooted in the laws of God, they had one thing they were looking for, the Messiah. Now the word Messiah means anointed one. And the, anoint, the kings of Israel were all identified by being anointed. You may have read scriptures where you've heard the story where uh, Saul, Samuel rather takes the uh, flask of oil and he anoints David as king over Israel. They were anointed. And when you're talking about an anointed one who is going to come, because scriptures talk about the Messiah coming, or this anointed one, the Jews thought if he is an anointed one, he is going to be a king. So they were expecting that God was going to raise up from among them another king. And they had various scriptures that they were looking at. For instance, in Genesis it says this, the staff shall not depart from Judah nor the scepter from between his feet. Now that was Joseph blessing, his, uh, blessing the, the tribes of Israel. But Judah as a, as a tribe have felt there was something special about them. They were, going to be a, they were always going to have a rulership as far as Israel was concerned. And this, in Samuel it says this, And when your days are fulfilled and you shall sleep with your fathers... I will set up your seed after you who shall raise, uh, who shall issue from your bowels and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will make firm the throne of his kingdom forever. This was what was said to David. Now I know you might not necessarily understand that scripture but I'm just using it to underline the fact that the Jews were looking for a king. This is why a lot of the Jews in Jesus' time were looking for a political figure or a, and somebody who was going to have an army that was going to overthrow the Romans. We are looking for a king of the tribe of David, a son, of, a son of David of the tribe of Judah. Because this is what had been prophesied to them. There was another side to this Messiah. There's all this talk about kingship, but then if you were to listen to the prophets like Isaiah, and if we read in Isaiah 52 and 53, we read there of a suffering servant. And so the Jews also had this idea, this, this Messiah was going to be a king, a son of David, and yet he was also going to suffer, and suffer for us as a people. So they were holding all these things together, but all of it came to this point. We are waiting for this Messiah to come amongst us. And time went on, and time went on. Years, hundreds of years until we get to this point, as I say, we're now between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're waiting for a Messiah, the son of David, of the tribe of Judah, a man who will lead us 
and yet a man who will serve us. We're waiting for this anointed one to come. That's where we come. Now let's go to this map here. This is a modern-day capture from Google showing where Tarsus is. If you've ever been to Cyprus on holiday, I haven't. I'm told it's very nice. But if you've been to Cyprus, then you've been near to that place. And it's interesting to see on this map, you've got places that are being mentioned in the news. Damascus, Aleppo, for instance, is quite near to Tarsus. But there at the top of our picture, under the uh, Google sign, is Tarsus. And that is where Saul, Paul, was actually born. You can see that it's quite a long way from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is right down at the bottom of the map. You've got the word Israel, and then you've got Jerusalem as a city. If you've got your glasses on or you've got reasonable eyesight, you can see what I'm talking about. If not, go home and Google this, and then that will help you. <laughs> so in this town, in Tarsus, we've got a couple of people who are Jewish, Jewish descendants, mom and a dad, and they've gone to live there in Tarsus. They have a baby boy. And because of their history as being Jews, they want to name their son after a famous Jew. They're actually of the tribe of Benjamin. Who was the greatest from the tribe of Benjamin? Well, they remember back, there is a king. The first king who was made a king of Israel came from the tribe of Benjamin. His name was Saul. Let's give our son the Hebrew name Saul. So because they're Jewish and because they're pleased with their son, they named their son Saul. But where they're living, and we believe that they were fairly wealthy or that they had in some way helped the Romans when they had come to invade this place or worked with the Romans, they had gained Roman citizenship. Now again, in these political days, Roman citizenship, if you've got an EU passport, you know what that means. And <laughs> this is some subject of dismay at the moment. It means that if you're a holder of an EU passport, you don't have to have a visa. You can go to France, Germany, anywhere in the EU freely. You don't have any worries. That's because there's a political agreement that that can happen. And the Romans have made various political agreements. You could vote if you were a Roman citizen. You could vote, and that would affect the government that was over you, because the Romans were the ruling government. But you could also buy and sell property if you were a Roman citizen. There were various rights. You could travel freely across the Roman Empire. It's like you had a passport because you were a Roman citizen. And Paul's parents were Roman citizens. But people of, who were not uh, of, from Rome, people who were not Romans, they either had to buy their citizenship, which would cost a great deal of money, or they had to have some favour granted to them where, oh, we are, are granting you the favour of becoming a Roman citizen. So it was quite an important thing. And Paul's parents had this. So it's not known whether they were very rich or something, but they were certainly people of some standing. Certainly I would describe them probably as being a good middle class, if not upper class, family. Paul's dad was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. So he was bringing up his children, and as a family, they were living in accordance with the Torah, the law of Moses. They were living in the ways of the Old Testament. They were reading the prophets. They were listening to what they had got written down, and when they went to the uh, synagogues, they were listening to what was being said and taught from those scriptures. That is what the background that Paul was brought up into. Now, as a Pharisee, Paul's father was very interested in his son being led in the right ways. 
It's known that there was a good university in Tarsus, but when it came for Paul, having started his education to go to a higher level of education, his parents felt that this university wasn't the right place. It's almost a bit of a case of like, we don't want our son to be influenced by all the ways and the teachings and the philosophies that are going on in Tarsus. We want our son to be educated in the ways of God. Now that's a great thing to say. And they backed it up by sending their son all the way from Tarsus to go and live in Jerusalem. So he was sent away to Jerusalem, if you like, to university. But it wasn't quite university. He was sent away to be under the teaching of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was a very well-respected and well-renowned teacher of the Pharisees. In fact, he was the grandson of what is described to be one of the greatest, Hillel, one of the greatest teachers of the Pharisaical movement. So here you're, you're going to a pristine, a, a top-notch, a, an Ivy League, if you're an American, an Ivy League type of university setting. And that is where Saul was sent. I say Saul because that was his Jewish given name. Because his parents were Roman citizens, they actually would have also had to give him a Latin name. His Latin name was given as Paulus, or what we would know as Paul. So that's why he has two names, because he would have had a Latin name because a Roman citizen, but he also would have had a Hebrew name because of his background. And incidentally, his parents, they would have spoken Aramaic. Aramaic was a form of Hebrew. Sort of as Hebrew has come down and as language changes over the years, so the ancient Hebrew had changed and it was now Aramaic. So they spoke Aramaic. However, where they were living, there were lots and lots of Greeks. And so they would have actually spoken the, the lingua franca of their area would have been Greek. But also, as Roman citizens, they needed to understand and speak some Latin. So there would have been a, a lot of languages being spoken. In, there certainly would have been a bilingual household, a trilingual household, as far as Saul stroke Paul is concerned. So not wanting uh, their son to be contaminated by the Gentile philosophies, Saul is sent down to Jerusalem where he is learning to the ways of God and learning to be a Pharisee. Let's just have a look at a few scriptures that teach us about this, which is what Paul talks about as recorded in Acts. Paul said of this, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, that is Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. So we have a very zealous young man here. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest set of our religion, living as a Pharisee. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my own people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. These are all scriptures that give us indications of what Paul was saying about himself. They express where he was brought up, how he was brought up, and being taught by Gamaliel, he was really under the top-notch teaching. So he would have known how to interpret the law. 
Let me just say something about the Pharisees as well. The Pharisees didn't just take the Bible. They said, like, well, we understand the law and as it's given to us, but how do we interpret all of these things? And so they held very strongly to what is called the oral tradition. Other, this is the way you need to do it. This is what our forefathers have learned. This is what they are passing on to us. So along with Scripture, they built this other rule or rule book called the Talmud, which is about what the rabbis, the teachers over the years have said about how you should live. And this is where we get to. Paul, the Pharisee. Now, we want to understand, what did the Pharisees believe in? They believed in the letter of the law. God had established them, as I've said, as the nation of Israel. God had given this nation his laws and his commands so that if they live by them, they would have life as a nation. In Deuteronomy, it says this, For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. You can make this choice of, uh, by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself fully to, firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you can see, as a people, this is what, um, what they were living by. If we obey, then we will live. If we obey, then we will live. And that's how they sought to live before God. The Pharisees literally sought to live by the very letter. What does it actually say? I want to do what God is telling me to do. I want to live the right way before him. The Pharisees' way, if you like, were these three things. To love God. To obey his commands. To live right. Now, when you hear that, I would say, that's exactly what we want to do. We want to love God. Every day... The Pharisees and the Jews still today say this. They quote from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. They say it every day to remind themselves and to keep themselves focused. Would we agree with that? Absolutely. We want to love God wholeheartedly, and that's exactly how the Pharisees wanted to live. They wanted to obey his commands. Simply, they wanted to do what was right before God. They wanted to live right, and that's how they sought to live. But these dear Pharisees had problems. What were their problems? Their problem was the very same thing. We must obey the law. We must obey the law, why? Because we want to be right before God. This is how we get right with God. We get right with God by obeying the law. Now let me give you an example. Part of the Ten Commandments, let me read this to you. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest 
dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. So that was a command from the Ten Commandments that the Israelites received. Now they needed to live by this. But when you hear that, here's a question. What does it mean that you might not do any work? What does that mean? Does that mean you shouldn't get out of bed? Does that mean you shouldn't eat breakfast? What does it mean not to do any work? Now you can understand this, can't you? So the Pharisees, are, they, they don't like having grey areas. The Pharisees need to know, what does that mean? So now they're trying to work on this, and they're trying to find out, well, what does that mean? So they decide many things. They decide, and we don't know what all their decisions were, incidentally, but I want to paint a picture for you. Because when we look at Jesus when he came, let me give an example to you. In John chapter 9, we have the story of Jesus. Jesus healing a man born blind. It says here, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So you've got a blind man, the disciples are walking along with Jesus, they see this blind man, and hey, look, did he sin? What, what, why is he blind? What's the problem? Because he was blind from birth. Jesus said to them, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus is teaching and saying this to his disciples. The next thing he does is, having said this, so having had this conversation with them, he suddenly bends down. It says, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Now, as I was reading this through, I was just picturing this scene. So they were just walking down the road, and then they have this conversation about this guy who they're walking past. You know, this guy, who, did he sin? Why is he blind? Oh, he's blind from birth. And the next thing is, Jesus is spitting on the ground. He's making some mud, and he goes up to the guy, and he starts putting this mud on his eyes. And then he says to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And because he was told, the guy actually went to the pool and he washed in the pool. And as he washed the mud off, the man that was born blind could now see. You can imagine the scene, can't you? Everybody's excited. Wow, this guy was blind. He's never been able to see. But now, can you see? Is it true? And it, wow, all of this commotion is going on. The Pharisees get to hear about this and they want to talk to this guy and they want to ask him. So later on in this passage, uh, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now this is the key point. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. <laughs> Can you see there's a problem here? You see, the law of Moses says... On the Sabbath day, remember to keep it holy. You must not do any work on the Sabbath. What does any mean? Well, obviously for the Pharisees, uh, making mud and asking somebody to go and wash it off their eyes, that's, not, that's work, that's work, we mustn't do work. And because you're doing what God has told you not to do, how can you be of God? 
Can we get ourselves in the mindset of what was going on in Jesus' time? These people were not trying to be anti-Jesus. These people are trying to be followers of God. But they're trying to do it the right way. They're trying to do it the legalistic way. They're trying to do it according to the rules. This is what is said. So this is why whenever Jesus healed on the Sabbath, some of the people in the synagogues would say, listen, it's the Sabbath. If you want to do healing, do it on another day. But Jesus said to them, hang on a second. You need to remember this. You need to remember that God is interested in mercy and grace, not just in rules and regulations. And I want you to go and learn about that. So there were problems between what the Pharisees, the Pharisees were saying we must obey the law, but there were problems in that when it came to actually working between what the Pharisees were teaching and learning and between what Jesus Christ himself was actually doing. Paul said this in Philippians 3, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, now righteousness is the state of being right before God. That's what that word would describe. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. This is Paul, the Pharisee. This is Paul who's been brought up. This is where he is in life. This is what he is doing. He is living according to the law and he is seeking therefore to honour God in all that he does by the way that he lives. But this is what, or this is the problem if you like that Jesus highlighted with the Pharisees. You're more interested in what you do. You're more interested in the way you live. You're more interested in the laws that have to be obeyed because you believe that by those things you are going to get right with God but you seem to overlook other important issues. And here's the challenge that Jesus brought to them. He said this, not, well he didn't say it, but this is basically what he was talking about. Knowing the law doesn't mean that you know God. Uh, everything we do is according to what God has told us, which has been revealed in his law. Everything we do is in here. We are seeking to live by what God has told us to do. That's the Pharisees. And Jesus is saying, listen, just knowing this isn't bringing you closer to God. Knowing the law doesn't necessarily mean, and I use that word necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know God. Matthew chapter 9, the story of Matthew getting saved. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting beside his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? 
stop just there a second. Why did they say that? They said it because they're trying to keep themselves pure. You know, sometimes when we read about the Pharisees, oh, they're always wrong. Jesus was right, they're wrong. But when we look at what they were trying to do, they were just trying to be right. They were just trying to live right. And if you contaminate yourself, you know, it's still true, bad company can create bad behavior. So who you hang around with sometimes is important. You need to check on that. There's a truth in there. But Jesus went to meet with these people. Why does your teacher eat with with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. Notice how Jesus sent them back to scripture, because that's obviously what they're basing their lives on. I want you to show mercy, not on a... I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. You see, the Pharisees taught, and their whole essence was, that if you obey the letter of the law, that is how you are going to find life itself, eternal life. Jesus taught this. This is the way to have eternal life. The scripture will come up for you. This is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. If we want to have eternal life, then it's not about knowing lots of rules and regulations, but it is about knowing God. We have to know God. To know God and to know Jesus Christ, that is how we are going to have eternal life. So we've got this issue. Paul the Pharisee was a man who was brought up knowing the law. When we say knowing it, by the way, he didn't just read it. He would have read it and learnt it. So he could have quoted it. Quoted great passages, great lengths of passages. Known. He, he was a Bible scholar who would have known where those scriptures were and where to find them in the scrolls. He was really, really educated in these ways. And he felt he was a righteous man because he was keeping it to the letter. The problem that we are already seeing is that Jesus, when he came, is saying it's not enough. Now listen, what do we think about this for ourselves? Because whilst we're talking about Paul the Pharisee, that's one thing. But what about ourselves? Do we ever see any pharisaical thoughts or processes in our own lives? You know, so often it's been the case for me, well, I can read the Bible... And if I have read the Bible, then I can feel as though I am a holy person. Because I've done what is right. I've done what God wants. I've obeyed his commands. I'm living according to his ways. So from that point of view, it's good. It is good because we would say this is what we need to do. But also I could get to a place, which is rather where Paul had got to, where I did know the scriptures, where I had done what was right, where I was seeking to live right, but somehow my heart still remained cold. And I wasn't loving and doing all the things that God wanted me to do. Jesus confronted the Pharisees and he told them, look, you seem to be tithing to the utmost degree. You're even tithing the vegetables that are growing in your back garden. You're tithing everything but you seem to be missing out on the fact of honouring your mother and father in the way that they need to be honoured. 
If you're saying, oh, we're doing this, we're giving this away, so we can't give this food to our parents, you must learn to honour your parents as well as obey what the law says. There's a heart attitude that you need to have. And the challenge, I think, for us when we're looking at being Pharisees is this, is do we think that it's by what we do that makes us right with God? I do good things. I I do pray. I do read my Bible. And you need to hear me carefully. I am still saying we need to do those things. I'm still saying they are essential. But what I'm saying also is this. If we think that by doing those things we have become right, then we've missed the point. We become right by one thing only, believing that Jesus Christ is our salvation. It's the only way we become right. And you see the problem, it's all about doing, and don't we love to know where we are? Don't don't you as a person, if you're given a job to do, not everybody's like this, but a lot of people are, if you're asking me to do the job, can you please tell me what you want? Can you tell me the boundaries I've got? Can you tell me what is the expected outcome? Because if you're not told what the boss overlooking you is wanting from you, how can you please him? How can you give a good result? We need to be told what to do. So we do like to know our parameters in life, the laws that surround it, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. We like to know all of those things to make us feel secure. But sometimes just knowing those things, once we've done it, we've done right. We've read the Bible, I'm right with God. But do you love the Lord your God with all your heart? See, it comes down to what's the state of our hearts? Not just what we do, what's the state of our hearts before God? Do we love God? What does loving God look like? How has that worked out? How does that affect the way that we live? Sometimes we look at far too much on, if you live this way, then everybody else is going to accept you. And we can overlook the issues of what's actually going on in our hearts. That's particularly true amongst the Christian community. As long as we obey by the general rules, listen, make sure you're not having adultery, you're not living in sin, you're not getting too drunk, nobody saw you if you did get drunk or you did commit adultery, make sure everything, everything's all right then. But God looks at the heart and he asks this question, do you love me? Do you love me? Because if you love me, then loving me and believing in me is what will bring eternal life. That's the key. Really, as Christians, it's because we have faith in Jesus that we do the other things. It's because we have faith in Jesus that we want to read the Word word of God to find out more about him. It's because we have faith in him that we want to pray, to ask him to help us in the areas of our lives. It's not praying that makes us right. It's because he has made us right that we pray. Now this whole understanding, and this is why I say today is quite important. Maybe it's just a little bit technical, but it's quite important because once we get ourselves into the mindset of what the Pharisees were like, once we get ourselves in the mindset of what the Christians were, were, looking, uh, were like, then we can begin to understand the whole thing. Guys, you can come back. You know, a good way to get yourself in the mindset is to go to Luke 24 and to read the story there on the road to Emmaus. This is just after the resurrection. That's when the, uh, the passage is, is talking about. After the resurrection, there's two disciples that have been to Jerusalem. 
They were now walking on the way to Emmaus. That just means the road that's going to Emmaus. It's actually seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. So they walk seven miles, they, or they're walking on that journey. And on that journey, they meet with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, but they didn't recognize him. So he's walking with them and he's talking to them. He says, guys, how are you doing? They say, like, hi, you know, what's going on? And, and they say, what, what do you mean, what's going on? Haven't you heard? They say, well, I heard what? And then it's like, What? Jerusalem, Jesus has just been killed. He's just been crucified. You haven't heard about that? Jesus doesn't say anything, but he just said, ah. Oh. And as they're pouring out their hearts, and they're saying their position. We believed that this was going to be the Messiah. We were waiting for him to rise again, but he was crucified. And he said that he was going to rise on the third day. This is the third day. And they say that some of our people have said they've been to his tomb and the tomb was empty. Which, incidentally, you'd think they'd think like, huh? the tomb was empty, this is the third day, can we not put these things together? The answer was no, they didn't understand. They didn't understand, they were looking for the Messiah. It was the third day, everything that they had believed in and hoped for hadn't seemed to happen. These were Christians. These were people who were believing in Jesus, who were looking towards him. They were confused. How often do we find that we ourselves in that position are confused about God? It says that as they walked along, Jesus actually said to them, how foolish you are and slow to believe. He's really saying to them, what's the problem with you? You, you seem to be slow in being able to take on board the truth. That's what he's saying to them. And with that... What does Jesus do? He goes to the scriptures, starting at Moses and going through all of the prophets. He shows them the scriptures about the Messiah that was to come. So in other words, he's saying, look, you've got all the scriptures. Let me just tell you about the Messiah, what he's going to be like, what he's going to do, what's going to happen to him. And you can imagine this conversation. Now it goes on, they go home, and Jesus goes to say, oh, I'm going on further. No, 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 stay with us tonight. You can't look, it's late. Stay with us. Have food with us. So Jesus comes in to have food. As they sit down to have food, it just says they wanted to give thanks for their food. As they gave thanks, their eyes were opened. This is Jesus. He's gone. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? Because they realized everything that had been taught them, everything that was in the scriptures, leads to Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the hope of the nations. He is the anointed one. He is the one who has come to help us. He is the one that we put our trust in. Yes, we must seek to live right. Yes, we must seek to overcome sin. That is an absolute truth for all of us to believe in. But let's not get pharisaical about believing and doing the right thing without the first loving him, knowing him, and walking with him. Because it's, it's life with Jesus that brings joy. Brings joy. For these guys, this is what automatically happened. Who cares if it's seven miles to walk back to Jerusalem? We're going back and tell them. We're excited about what has happened. This has happened. This has opened our hearts and our lives to, to him. And we want to go and tell others that the hope of the nations is alive. 
the hope of all eternity that we have been waiting for, for all of these years, he has come and he is here to help us. This is the story of this book. And whilst we've been looking back at what the Pharisees were believing and the life of Paul, soon in this series we're going to look at the road to Damascus and we're going to begin to understand what a dramatic day that was because everything changed for this man Paul. While we're here this morning and we're going to stand and just sing our last song so if you'd like to stand up then please do. If you've never encountered this man Jesus Christ he is here today. By his spirit he is here today. He is alive today just as he was alive on that Emmaus road. He was crucified, but he rose again from the dead, and he is here to help you in your situation. He's not so much interested in what you're going to do, he wants you to put your faith in him. He wants you to believe that he is able to help you. He wants you to believe that he is with you, walking with you, that he will not leave you, he will not abandon you, he is with you to help you. Yes, take you through difficulties. Yes, take you through trials. Yes, help you through difficult circumstances, but he is there by your side to help you. So I want you to reach out to him. If you've never reached out to Jesus, then today is a day when you can actually put your faith in him for the first time and come to know him as your Lord and as your Saviour. And if that's you, then I want to pray with you. If you have already made that commitment to him, then I want to encourage you to give your life to him. See yourself as walking with him. This is not about what you do, it's about who you believe. And believe in Jesus, the risen one, because he is the one who can help you. Let's sing the song together. Pharisees, Pharisees want to do everything by the letter of the law. The result of being a Pharisee is that you start to look down on others. Well, I'm not like them, because at least I do this. They don't do the same things as me. God accepts me, but he doesn't accept them. Pharisaism in us is akin to judgmentalism. When we start to judge others, to separate ourselves, to elevate ourselves, to have pride in ourselves above others. And you know what? It's so easy to be a Pharisee. And it's so easy to have that in our lives. But we need to repent of those ways. We need to understand that when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, he said, I want you to think about mercy. I want you to think about grace. I want you to think about forgiveness. I want you to think about the love of the Father. I'm not always interested in sacrifices of what you are doing, but I want your heart. And I want to challenge us this morning. Where are our hearts? Are we too busy thinking about how right we are or how good we are or how we don't do this or how the person that we're living with or that we're working with, or you know, they're less than me because at least I go to church. At least I went to church three times this last month. At least I won every Sunday this last month. At least I was there. But do you love Jesus? 
And that's the key thing. We want to love Jesus. And I don't know about you, I need help with that. I need God to minister to my heart to help me to love him first and foremost. To love who he is, to love what he has done, and to be thankful. When I have that love in me, then other things start to get right in my life. But it's so easy for us just to be Pharisees. We don't want to walk away from here with that Pharisaical culture over us. We want to ask God, God, please, will you breathe upon us? Please, will you change us in our hearts? Please, will you draw us to know you, really know you, in our lives, to experience you, that we might live with the love that we have for you, not that sense of, oh, I'm right, and I'm better than others, which can so easily come upon us. Let's just bow our heads. Father, we want to ask you, Lord, minister to our lives. Lord, we see so much of rules and regulations, pride, arrogance that comes upon our hearts, the desire to live in our own ways, the desire to live according to our own rules. Lord, those things come so easily to us rather than loving you and holding you in the first place. Father, have mercy upon us and forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from our foolish behavior. Lord, we don't want to be like those early disciples that couldn't believe you, that struggled even when the things were unfolding as you said they would unfold, that we still can't believe you. We want to be those who believe in you, who know you, and who walk with you, and to be so filled with you that our lives speak to others around us. Father, hear our cry and come and meet our hearts. Come and minister grace to us. Come and open your scriptures to us in a fresh way. Lord, give us life, real life, that life that is only found in you. Give us that life, oh God, that we may live according to that life and may obey you and love you in what we do. Father, hear our prayer and answer our cry, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.